Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. From BGS and Osiris Media, you're listening to The Shift List, where chefs talk about the music that fills their kitchens, restaurants, and recipes. I'm Chris Jacobs. This week, Jonathan Whitener, chef and co-owner of Here's Looking at You in Los Angeles' Koreatown. Now, since its opening in 2016, Here's Looking at You has appeared on almost every best-of restaurant list around L.A., and that's due to a number of factors— Co-owner Leon Ta's laser focus on service and comforting hospitality, the top-notch tiki-adjacent bar service, the evolving playlists blending old-school hip-hop and post-punk, an unexpected location in L.A.'s Koreatown, best known for Korean comfort food and barbecue, but it's anchored by Jonathan's anything-goes approach to cooking. And not to say that anything-goes means that the food has a lack of focus, it's actually quite the opposite. Jonathan grew up in Huntington Beach, the son of a Mexican mother and a German father. And growing up near Orange County's thriving Vietnamese and Japanese communities, he pulls all of these influences into his SoCal tapas-style menu at Here's Looking at You, with standout dishes like the shishito peppers accompanied with a tonado sauce, the Italian answer to hummus, sprinkled with huame, a preserved Chinese plum, or the frog legs seasoned somewhat like Nashville hot chicken with a black salsa, scallion, and lime. I could go on and on about the menu, but suffice it to say, this is food that is uniquely Jonathan Whitener's, who cut his teeth as the chef de cuisine for John Shook and Vinny Totolo's Animal over on Fairfax in L.A., before opening Here's Looking at You with Lian Ta, who he met while she was serving as front-of-house manager during both of their time at Animal. And similar to his cooking, Jonathan's musical tastes are a reflection of his family and surrounding environment— Outlaw Country from his father, New Wave post-punk from his stepfather, 80s metal from his brothers, and a love for Glenn Danzig that continues to this day. Whitener's food represents the best of L.A., and Here's Looking at You is the kind of neighborhood spot that I wished I lived around the corner from so I could go every night. So without further ado, Jonathan Whitener from Here's Looking at You in Los Angeles' Koreatown. Uh, I'm Jonathan Whitener, chef owner of Here's Looking at You. Uh, here in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Orange County from a town called Huntington Beach. Here's looking at you as I guess the best way to put it would be like a modern bistro that's kind of like a ode, like a love letter to LA because it's hard to describe what we do because it's so based on my my French training when it comes to cooking and my French repertoire because that's mainly my background is like you know a lot of French technique and stuff like that but then you know we use a lot of ethnic ingredients so it's like from you know, Bengali stuff to Southeast Asian to Japanese to Latin, you know, Peruvian, like all types of stuff. It just, we really don't have any rules as long as our whole motto is like, we don't give a shit as long as it tastes good. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a lot of it's done a little bit more smarter towards, you know, it's, it's fusion food really, but it's like, you know, I'm not afraid to say that word, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's done with purpose and not like, not bastardizing. Well, my favorite restaurants uh, are the ones where there's, 
a vision that seems to be coming from someone who has taken all their experiences and put it into something that only they can do. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, you know, something that you've achieved here. So, yeah. but especially just incorporating tiki. Yeah, cool. and I've I've read that you love tiki, and you've brought that into your restaurant, which a lot of a lot of people and bar services can't do well. Oh no, we we luckily do it really well because I harped on them really hard when we first opening about it because we never wanted it to be a tiki bar, yeah. you know, and you know it's not it's still not a tiki bar, it just has tiki, it's tiki esque. Yeah, but and tiki tiki recipes and inspirations and yeah. syrups and the rums, which is fun, yeah, because like you look at like. The age of tiki cocktail making is like the silver age of cocktail making, and it's like where things got real intense because before it was like, you know, you were just using spirit-based mixes and you know doing things like Manhattans and things like that, which is nothing wrong with that. You know, that was the the basis of cocktail making. But then you start introducing fruit juices and you know citrus, all this, yeah, and like doing syrups and infusions, all this stuff. Like that's if it wasn't for that age of tiki, you know, like cocktails wouldn't be where it is today. And you know, one of the big things with me is that I really like L.A. history, you know, things that have gone on here. And the fact that, you know, people think Tiki, they think Hawaii or Polynesia. You know, I mean, it's, it's L.A. It belongs to us. You know, we created Tiki. It's us. You know, in the 30s, you know, without Don making it, you know, and creating it, like, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, including the bar, you know, we jam-pack it with, like, 56 is probably our max capacity. Uh... You know, it's a pretty open space. It's a big rectangle, you know. As soon as you walk in, you see the bar. You know, it's a pretty pretty simple space, but, you know, fun. Yeah. You know, typical day starts at 9 o'clock here. We don't go too super early because this doesn't really make sense. You know, we have, we've dimed out our, our program to where our guys will overlap. You know, most restaurants I've ever worked in, it's like guys come in at 6. You know, that prep team comes in and they're gone super by... Super early. Yeah, then they're gone by a certain point, And then, like, the guys that come in to work at dinner come at 3 or whatever, they never even see each other. So it's like, I wanted to bring it in two hours later, and then that way they're overlapping and they can communicate more and be like, this is what I got done, this is what I didn't get done. Yeah, yeah, more, you know, more of a camaraderie, too. Yeah. So, you know, it starts at 9. You know, we have one guy, Eric, and then the dishwasher, Berto, who work together, who receive stuff, put stuff away. You know, Berto helps juice the things for the bars. Eric in the morning also preps syrups for the bars. Uh, does, like, you know, the bigger tasks of braisings and things like that in the morning. And then around, like, you know, depending on how in the weeds they are for that, that service, you know, some of the cooks come in at 2, 3 o'clock, 3.30, start setting up, prepping out and stuff like that. And then, you know, we're looking at doing service at 6 o'clock and do 6 on until 10 or 11, depending yeah. on what day it is. So it's like, if I'm in there prepping, then I get to choose the music, you know? But for the most part, you know, Eric dictates what he listens to in the morning. And then usually, you know, Ken, my sous chef, comes in and, you know, Ken's a punk rock and hardcore guy, you know, and Cox Bar and the Buzzcocks and, you know, things like that. Which is nothing wrong. I mean, I love punk. I grew up as a punk, but, you know, uh, when I'm in there, like, they hate it because I like playing country. And, like, but, like, old 60s and 70s rebel country is what I'm really into. Like, you know, Waylon Jennings Cash, you know, uh, David Allen Coe, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and they they fucking hate it. I don't care. <laughs> when did you when did you start getting into country? Well, I luckily have a lot of influence when it came to music because my dad's from the south, so my dad you know beat Johnny Cash and me. That's my dad's favorite all time artist, you know. And you know my stepdad you know grew up as you know a new waver punk in L.A. So you know he beat 
Morrissey and the Smiths and Echo and the Buddymen and you know all these like early like you know 80s bands into me and then you know my brothers grew up on hip hop and you know glam metal and things like that so like then they pushed that into me but it's then I kind of found my own way and it was like well, what was their glam metal and hip hop uh, influences that you remember you know, most they were like Tupac and you know Ice Cube and you know the NWA growing up in Huntington Beach yeah my brother Chris was into more like you know, he was uh, more of like a Motley Crue and Megadeth and, you know, yeah, th that type of stuff, you know. But, like, I took all that in. I've always been a big music buff. Uh, a lot of it became the first thing I could ever remember collecting is records because that was my outlet to get music. It's like, you know, it was easier for me to go buy a record for, like, 50 cents or a dollar than it was to get CDs because the CDs were expensive as shit. Yeah, because at that time, I'm assuming mid-90s, late-90s, yeah. records were a dollar at the Goodwill. Yeah, I would go to, like, you know, there's a lot of swap meets in Orange County, so, like, you know, a lot of the colleges there hold huge swap meets, and I would just go raid records, you know, and that's when I started getting into country, because I'd find country records, and, like, you know, I think it was, like, a f my f well, I always had a lot of Johnny Cash stuff from my dad, but my, my dad never really got, you know, outside of that box of, like, just being a big Cash fan, you know? Uh, I remember, like, Didn't getting... Didn't go much farther from Johnny Cash. Yeah, into so yeah. I started getting into Waylon, because I remember, I can't remember which was the first Waylon record I got. But I think it was that self that's a self title where it just says Wayland's all black. It's got the red the red logo on top, it's just him in the middle. I like Good Hearted Woman, you know, or Rainy Day Woman, things like that. It always goes to just being like, I always choose the rebels. Like I always choose rebel music. It's like that's why I like Cash more than or Cash and Wayland more than any other country singers or why, you know, like Danzig, you know, he's a notorious asshole, but he's a rebel, you know, he's different than everyone else, and look what he's created, the guy created three legendary different bands by himself, you know, and they have a, a, a cult following, you know, it's like, you don't like, it's not, like, Danzig, it's like, you either love him or hate him, and the ones that love him fucking love him a lot. Like, when did you first discover uh, Danzig? You know, I've always heard Mother, the song Mother, everyone always knew that song, you always saw it on MTV or whatever, but, like, I think it was when, uh, I found the cassette tape somewhere. I don't remember if I took it from my friend's house or something, but I found the Danzig cassette tape and I popped of that in. Of the first record? Of the, the self-titled one, yeah. Yeah. And I popped that in and it was, uh, Am I a Demon was the first song that, that played. I think it's the second Which song Which is like album. 1988. Yeah. And Mother was on that one. Yeah. And didn't didn't hit big until it had that live video yeah. on MTV in 94. Yeah, I think like something six like years after the first record was released. Yep. So you got a cassette of that. Yeah. It was like one of my first obsessions was getting into the Misfits and collecting their records. I remember having, I had their entire catalog first pressings, even like the Walk Among Us, the pink label from Plan 9 with the little insert to buy like the t-shirts and stuff. But I lost that, like I broke up with a girlfriend and she like took all my like records and like took some of the best ones because she knew. I was like, all right, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so obviously, I'm assuming that when the restaurant's open, that you guys don't have any music playing in the kitchen. I play music in the kitchen, like depending on how, like if it's you know we're like half capacity, you know it gets kind of dead in there, and they're just kind of like you know pushing stuff out. So I'll put music on so we can listen to music and cook. That's great. I find that's actually kind of rare. Yeah, I mean people that, like there's guys who stage and like the fucking guys playing music right now. It's like yeah, why not? Yeah, we'll do whatever we want. The food's not going to affect the food. <laughs> like who cares? What do you like to put on during service then, if it's if it's like kind of slow and you want to pick things up back there? Believe it or not, because I have a lot of younger kids who like grew up on like '90s movies that like you know watch like Night at the Roxbury and stuff. Like we play like '90s like like 
club music. <laughs> and it's like they all, everyone knows the, the lyrics, and even the ones that want to refuse to say they know the songs know those songs. It gets like, you out of your head. Yeah, and it gets them moving. Or it's like, you know, depending on what line it is, like sometimes we just like, it's, it's time. It's like Ride the Lightning goes on, and it's boom, like let's start moving. Well, does it does it bleed in to the music that's playing in the restaurant? Can you hear Metallica in the back? Oh no! Like we just have a little beats, and we we I figured it out. If it's in the right spot, you won't hear it in the dining room. Yeah. But there are times like if the music dips, like you can hear it like for a second. You're like, what the fuck? And it's like it's happening back there. Because I, I assume that Ride the Lightning's not happening in the in the space. For, for, for a while, customers. there was a playlist that I had that was like there was like Motorhead and Slayer and Pantera on it and things like that. That like. It was all like this 80s blend of music that I had of like hard rock, and it worked well for certain people. But then as our clientele started changing a little bit, I was like, all right, well, that playlist is done. Yeah, like, we, we have to kill that yeah, one. Yeah, we can't listen to that one anymore. So what do you think captures the vibe best in here, playlist-wise, during service? I think hip-hop does. It's always hip-hop or like uh, kind of like the new wave, like R&B soul type stuff, kind of like, you know, uh, like Nick Waterhouse and, you know, Curtis Harding and uh, like Leon Bridges type stuff, you know? And for brunch and stuff, like we play a lot of like, like fifties throwback, like you know, rockabilly stuff, and you know, oh, nice. teeny popper stuff. That works great for brunch because it's chill. But yeah, most of the night it's, it's always like hip hop. Our hip hop playlist is everybody. I mean, everybody's on there. I mean, you know, there's there's two major playlists that we have. Like one's more of like a an old like hip hop playlist where it's like you know all the eighties and nineties stuff, and then more of the recent like trap and all that stuff. But then there's also, we have one that we blend a lot of stuff together. Mark, our general manager, makes updates the lists a lot. Like, before I used to, I, they only played my lists. Now I kind of let them do their own thing, but. Well, great. That, that's a lot of great stuff. And do you have any closing thoughts or any, any you know, you want to be pretentious about uh, the relationship between music and food and all that good stuff? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think food or music, I mean, for some people it does, I guess, but, you know. The creative process yeah, influences one or the other. I don't think for me it does, you know. For me, it's like taste and experience of going out and eating or, you know, finding something new and fun when it comes to a new ingredient or something like that. But I don't think music really, for me personally, really influences my cooking. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thanks for doing yeah, this. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thanks to Jonathan Whitener, chef and co-owner of Here's Looking at You in Los Angeles' Koreatown. Head to our link on the podcast page at thebluegrasssituation.com to check out his playlist and visit here'slookingatula.com for the most recent sample menu and reservations or look at all their delicious food and get clued into their occasional special events by following them on Instagram at here'slookingatula. The Shift List is produced by me, Chris Jacobs. Our executive producer is Amy Reitenauer, with help, as always, from the entire BGS team, including associate editor Justin Hiltner, marketing guru Joseph Klingel, and all the amazing writers and contributors that make BGS the best source for Roots culture redefined. Special thanks to RJB and Nick Sejas over at Osiris Media. Check out their entire roster of music and culture podcasts at osirispod.com. If you love The Shift List, please leave us a review or rating over iTunes.com slash The Shift List. I'm Chris Jacobs. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. 
Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com.